Welcome to the West of North London podcast, where we sit down each and every week to answer your big Arsenal questions. I'm Caleb. And I'm Tim. And this week with us, we've got our one of our favorite guests, Joe Robinson. How are you Hi this there. week? Thank you for having me on Western North London. Very good. Very good. Glad to be back. Well, glad to have you. And this week we're we're bringing you on because it's it's the big season kickoff. So we're going to be looking ahead to some predictions, some hopes, some dreams, some things that are sure to fall short of our expectations. But we're going to try to figure out where this team's going this year. And uh, yeah, we'd love to have a guest. So I'm so glad you could be here, Joe. Let's not hold off on anything because we've got so much pack to pack in here. Uh, what what drink are you working on this week, Joe? Uh, well, I uh, don't think I've actually told you this, but I, I recently moved to Minnesota uh, to be closer to my wife's family. Whoa. Uh, so I've just opened up a whole new world of beers and breweries, uh, and I'm drinking uh, the Ruby Rhubarb Sour uh, from Mankato Brewery. Uh, I think is south of Minneapolis. I love it. You're it's like very, tapping into very a whole area. Rubbly. Yeah. So what, yeah. what? What's what type of beer is it then? It's a it's a rhubarb sour, and uh, two things I like in sours is that they're very sour, and with rhubarb I like things to be very rhubarby. Often rhubarb beers or rhubarb ciders has a very subtle just undertone, but this is like a slap in the face with a stick of rhubarb nice that sounds lovely i don't think i've ever seen a rhubarb beer i'm trying to think i don't think i have either that sounds i may have to go to minnesota to find out <laughs> it's a bit of a trek for a rhubarb beer but i i wouldn't blame you <laughs> uh tim what are you drinking uh, well, I'm drinking one of uh, my works beers, Menace Brewing Company, for my obligatory plug. Uh, and it's a, a beer I think I may have uh, featured on the here before. It's called uh, I Live in Your Basement 2. It's a uh, barley wine that comes in at 9.9%, which I know makes Caleb excited and may yeah. make the end, end of the show a little sloppy, which I pre-apologize for. Um, yeah, it's a... Uh, a uh, beer, a barley wine aged in whiskey casks for three to six months. Uh, absolutely one of my favorite beers on the planet. It's definitely a sharing beer, which is why I'm sharing it with you guys, and, except for you can't taste it. But uh, yeah, lovely, malty, sweet, has hints of whiskey. Love it. Sounds lovely. I'll use that segue into what I'm drinking this week because I'm just going straight for the whiskey. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I just went for for another uh, glass of Pendleton, but this time I'm going for uh, a little bit of ice. So smooth, smoothing things out a little bit. Nice. It seems like you've been on a whiskey kick the last couple uh, recordings. Is this uh, is your life okay? Are you okay? I'm all right. Hey, last time I was sick, so this it's been a little while. Okay. I'm just happy not to be sick anymore. I'm so sick of that that uh, that carousel of colds that seems to be going around. Yeah. So I'll just, I'll, I'm, I'm celebrating with whiskey. Sounds good to me. <laughs> um, Tim, what have you got for your Timbit this week? Well, seeing as it's the start of the season, which for me is kind of like the start of a new year, I wanted to ask you to 
what is your New Year's resolution or New Seasons resolution that you're going to have for this upcoming season for yourself? But what, as an Arsenal fan, what is what are you going to do different this season, the next season, to better your uh, your fandom? Hmm. I'm going to go see more games at bars. <laughs> I want to see more more games with people. Yes, yeah, I think I'll be, doing, I'll be doing something similar. Now that I'm two hours closer to London time, they won't be at quite a difficult hour in the morning. Uh, oh, that's but I true. Think my, my one would be, I'm going to try to not let the losses ruin my day. <laughs> Ooh, easier said than done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's gonna take um take a lot of effort, you know. Just you know, when I say you know, want to say if, but when we lose, uh, <laughs> no, I, I'm on your find, train of find, find a way to distract myself, you know, find joy in something else for the day. But of course, <laughs> when Arsenal do win, I I'm quite happy to revel in it all day or all week even. <laughs> but uh, you know, Caleb's uh, thing brought. A question to me for Joe: Have you found the uh, Arsenal uh, supporters group in your hometown or your new hometown? Yeah, um, I visited Minneapolis a few times several years ago because it's where my wife is from, uh, and they have a bar called the Local where they where they drink. And interestingly, the first time I went there, I got chatting to another English guy, and it turns out that our mums live about half a mile away from each other, <laughs> and we grew up virtually in the same sphere <laughs> small world yeah arsenal bringing people back together even on the other side of the world yeah i also never thought about the fact that it, the closer you get like it, when you're are you in is minnesota in eastern or central time central time but the the closer you get to the time zone the easier it is to wake up for games yeah exactly i mean you know when i was in london sometimes i'd struggle to wake up for the 12 o'clock games <laughs> uh, you know e even on london time uh so having to get up at four or six was a, a real shock to the system yeah definitely i mean caleb and i have different opinions on this like the uh four or six o'clock games i always just record and watch turn off my phone and watch a little bit later because i i usually get home around two o'clock so i'm not gonna pull an all-nighter I just don't want to ever have anything spoiled, and I also get excited for Arsenal, so I just want to wake up and have have a little Arsenal time to myself in the mornings. Yeah, before the kids yeah, wake yeah. up. That's, that's the advantage with the really early ones is you can sometimes go back to bed. <laughs> yes, especially if I'm sad and I just I can't can't face the day without a little reset. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I can't I it I don't really miss the four a.m games that much like i i'm now that i say it out loud i'm like oh i guess we're getting back to that again that's coming up <laughs> soon i don't know when the first one is but it's i think it's, it's coming is it oh gosh that makes sense it's usually the usually the bigger ones yeah you're right on the first so i've got a month <laughs> to gear myself up well at the at the brewery we've committed to a showing a month sorry we're we're showing all the uh, World Cup games other than the two o'clock games. So I've committed to waking up early to catch the uh, five and eight o'clock games at the brewery, which is uh, gonna be a shock to my uh, sleeping schedule. It'd be worth it. Yeah. 
All right, let's let's move on to talking about this coming upcoming season. And before we dig into that, though, we did have one more preseason game that we didn't get a chance to cover on the podcast. And I, you know, I think it's a good opportunity to talk about the preseason as a whole because um, they went out with a bang and ended up just taking it to Sevilla for a good chunk of the first half. I think they scored three goals within a few minutes of each other. Um, and really I, uh, ending the, the grand Jesus tour, I mean, he, he looked good in pretty much every, every game he had, but to end things on a, a hat trick, I, I, I don't know if you could ask for anything better. Uh, Joe, do you feel like, do, do you fall into the camp that, uh, preseason is just something we should discount and toss out and not take any stock with? Uh, I think you can do whatever you like preseason. You know, if preseason <laughs> goes really well, you can put a lot of stock in it um, and help it build momentum as you go into a new season. If it goes really badly, you can draw a line under it and then move into the, the new season as a fresh slate. A lot like the Community Shield, you know. If you win, it's the first game of the season. If you lose, it's the last friendly of the summer. <laughs> it does change your perspective, doesn't it? Uh, how do you feel coming out of this preseason? Do you feel pretty plussed, or you've um, are you taking it with a grain of salt? I, I I feel good. You know, we we haven't just been beating teams; we've been stuffing them, and that's something that's been missing from Arsenal in the last couple of years. You know, we might have a couple of routine two nil wins, but the four nils, the five nils, the six nils have virtually dried up. So even doing it in preseason, I think, is is a good sign. Yeah, I think it would be easy to say if if they were all kind of on the severe level, um, it would be easy to discount it and and just say, oh well, it's a lesser team, a lesser preparation. But when you do it to the likes of Chelsea, when you um, really it, it, every every step of the way, they looked m- much better than their competition, and at the very least, you could say they looked more prepared, and I think that's a really good sign. And and you say Sevilla as a lesser team, but I I would put a reservation in that, which is we recently lost to Sevilla in a, a very important game that we all remember. So I think this has been quality opposition. And the thing I'm very excited, I tend not to get too excited about preseason just because, you know, it is preseason and managers tend to be trying out things and it's not super competitive, but the fact that Jesus really does look at least like he's landing with his feet in Arsenal and it doesn't seem like he's having troubles or issues, at least to start in the preseason, is a, a very hopeful signing in my uh, my eyes. Yeah, he does look like he's just gelling with everybody around him. and um, I, You can just tell that the team is looking for him and, and he's popping up in the right places. And it is a night and day difference from what we were getting from Lacazette as far as the work rate and the ability to get open in, in dangerous areas. So it's um it's nice to see it's nice to see it coming together before the season starts rather than like kind of get one of those last minute signings that doesn't really get firing until the third game of the season. I think we can really I I would say expect to hit the ground running with the first game and, and not, not come anywhere near where we were last season, but I don't want to jinx things, but it, it is, 
looking a lot a lot different than where we were at as far as team preparation last season and all the last minute signings that we had to kind of get across the line. I actually don't remember last season's preseason. Like, it, how did it go? Like, I, I literally must have blocked it out from my memory. We got Ben White early, but Odegaard kind of came late in the seat in the in this in the window, and uh, Tommy Asu was a deadline day signing. Um, so I think I think Ramsdale was a little earlier on, but. Yeah, for the most part, it it didn't. The team didn't really come together. Whether it was due to injuries or late signings, the team that first game just was not anywhere near where they were two, three games later. All right, so not that, was, in, that was part of it. Not even just the uh, the players, but just I don't even remember if we were good preseason or bad preseason. I don't know if we'd won or lost. I literally have it blocked from my memory. Do you have any? I don't memories? even remember what countries we went to. <laughs> yeah. No. No, the games don't stick out. Just that, just the. I, it did feel like they weren't quite as prepared for the the regular season. Once that, once all was said and done, I mean, but it helps to get that, your business done early. Yeah, the fact that all three of us can't remember it probably tells a lot about last season's preseason. Yeah, it's one of those things. If it's bad, you just kind of let it go and forget about it, and you move on. Even if it was good, if the results at the beginning of the season would would kind of cancel it out anyway. <laughs> uh, so speaking of Odegaard, uh, the big news go- coming out of the weekend before the Sevilla game was the uh, official announcement that uh, Odegaard has been named the, the team captain. Uh, I don't think anybody should be too shocked by that. I think, I, I, at least for Tim and I, I think we'd both said that was he was he was one of the most likely candidates uh what do we what do you think joe is he was he on your top of your list or somewhere in the mix for a captain yeah I, I remember being being on the fence between him and tierney but considering how rarely tierney seems to play now i think odegaard is the right choice and you know he's he's a natural leader he's captain for norway uh clearly has leadership qualities and is capable of uh leading a like a star striker ahead of him in, in Haaland. So I don't think he has any issues uh, with that in our team. Not that we have a you know incredible standout star like that, but he's used to managing personalities on the pitch. Yeah, I think he's, he's, even if there was a personality on our team, I think he would be able to, to handle that. And I think that's good. It, you know, it, We've had those sorts of situations where big personalities, like maybe the you could look back as not too long ago to the Aubameyang situation with him being the captain. Um, there's a lot of pressure on on the captain, and we've had issues with that between him and and Jaka. And some people really do crumble under that pressure, and I I just don't see that coming from Odegaard. I, I get the sense that he he can handle it and deal with the big personalities around him. I mean. I think he, coming up through uh, Real Madrid, he's been around that uh, a locker room that has a lot of a lot of big personalities, a lot of stars and quality, and so I think he's 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 seen a lot that people his age normally wouldn't. So he he has knowledge beyond his uh, is he tw- is he twenty three or twenty five? I'm forgetting his age right now, but he's uh he's he he plays and and has has the experience of somebody much older. 
Yeah, I guess the only the only potential negative is he does occasionally go missing a bit. Uh, you know, yeah, in, in think... games where he's not getting the service or is struggling, he mm-hmm. he will almost disappear. But as long as his leadership qualities are shining through when his footballing abilities might not be, then I think it's still the right choice. Yeah, you kind of you, you took the words out of my mouth there because I feel like when he has been missing, he's still he's still a professional. He's still doing his job. It's not like he uh, fades out of games where he's not uh, running or not doing the work. He just maybe isn't getting the right passes, like you said. He's just he's there, but not quite making the impact that he should be. But he never he never stops trying, which is really important, I think. I mean, I I'm interested to see with him how he deals with the locker room because he i mean you mentioned jaka and from all reports jaka was very popular in the arsenal locker room and i think uh there's a lot of uh players that really liked him i i just i don't know obviously we're not in the locker room but i just haven't seen a lot of uh feedback one way or the other whether the other players respect him or you know see him as a leader so i'll, I'll be interested to see as the season goes on how the other players react to him. Yeah, he's been there for uh what, 18 months now. So he's he's definitely had time to bed in and um the the team seems to know what he's about and respect his his work ethic. So I think that's that says a lot and it should shouldn't be too much of a, a change as far as um uh, you know, I think Xhaka is still going to be a personality and a leader in that team. There's going to be other players that are going to um, have a voice. And I, I think it's it's kind of when we're talking about who's the captain, it, it, it is it does take several teammates to really make this work and to get the most out of the, the young players. So I do think that there's going to be um, more than just Odegaard doing that sort of work. So it, it, it will take jaka and party and some of our senior players to really step up and and help him acclimate and be the best captain he can be but i think from everything i've heard about what jaka is in that locker room he's not gonna shy away from helping odegaard acclimate and i don't think he's gonna need much yeah and i mean i Uh, think he'll he'll have help from uh ramsdale as well who'd be another candidate other than i hate captains as goalies because they can't actually really effect as the game's going on they're so disassociated with the rest of the team but i do think that uh yeah ramsdale could be helpful in that situation as well Mm -hmm. um so this this uh preseason has wrapped up and we are in the final stretch before uh crystal palace in a couple days here i i'm i'm pretty excited it is it is strange i feel like arsenal has been kicking off the premier league season i it, it almost every year i don't know why it seems like it i know at least last year and possibly the year before we were the first game and it's it's a weird feeling to constantly be in the spotlight right off the bat so uh hopefully they they don't crumble under any any uh early season pressure here cuz they've had struggles against crystal palace so i I don't consider this an easy or guaranteed three points uh, by any means. No, there's a lot of parallels with the Brentford game last season. You know, it's the kick, first game of the season, a Friday night away from home against the London rival. Not, not necessarily going to be easy. The atmosphere is going to be against us from the very first whistle. 
Yeah. And I, I've been talking to uh, my good buddy up here and Jordan and I, I, I feel like this game has banana skin written all over it. It's a game that there's going to be a lot of passion. There's going to be a lot of things going on. Uh, you know, palaces has had our number the last couple of seasons. I think it, it, it's a scary game to go in. I don't think it's going to be an easy game and I'm going to be very nervous until the final whistle with this game. Yeah, I think it's going to be um, a tense one. Looking at the the recent record, I mean, we've only only beaten them once in the last, uh, I think, seven, eight games, and they uh, have gone on to draw us quite a bit or win. I think our last meeting was uh, 3-0 uh, loss to them back in uh, April. Yeah, so I- it's... it's uh, there's still some sting left in there and, and Vera has definitely made a formidable team. So I I don't think it's going to be um, an easy, an easy game. And I think it's going to be a great test to see where this team is actually at. We're now that now that preseason is done, we can actually see if this is really something legitimate or not, or if it is just some, some preseason fluke. I mean, you mentioned Vieira, and it, it's something when I was thinking about this game, what I would, would wanted to talk about a little bit is the comparison to Vieira and Arteta, which are, you know, both Arsenal uh, former players uh, and both come through the Man City Academy. And I think in a, a parallel universe, you could see Vieira as the coach right now for Arsenal. So it's, I, I don't know. It's, it's going to be interesting to see how these two coaches play against each other, what the strategy is. And if, uh, you know, Vieira really does have the ability to get one uh, over on Arteta. Another one over on Arteta. Yeah, another one, I should say. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I think it's, it's going to be a, a, the perfect test for us. So we'll have to see if it's, um, it, 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 I, I'm not sure how their preseason, preseason has gone. I think that really is the ultimate uh, question right now is who's who's more prepared, who's ready to hit the ground running on this on this season. Um, but I, I also think it's very fresh in in everybody's minds how last season started. So I've, I I imagine these these players who were with the team last season are not going to take this game lightly and not going to want to see that sort of slow start come to pass again. So it's it's definitely going to be something that they can learn from and build on, and we'll have to see if that's something that they can uh, overcome and and improve on their results last season. I mean, the other thing to think about too is coming off of a or start, the start of last season, our players are coming off the uh, the Euros, and especially uh, Saka, who had uh, you know such an interesting Euros experience, especially with a missed penalty, and I think. Uh, even though our off season's been truncated with the uh, the World Cup coming up, I think uh, maybe our players are in a very different headspace than they were last season coming into the first game of the season. Yeah, I could definitely see that. It would be, uh, um, you know, just, just where the season left off too. I think you're feeling like there's there's something to prove still. Uh, definitely an improvement over the previous season. Uh, in that fifth place spot, but I, I, I think there's a sense in my mind that now that they've filled in a few more gaps, um, now that they've gotten back into Europe, 
now it's now it's kind of like going back and finishing the job and actually getting into Champions League. And I think they know that getting out of the gates um, quickly and building as many points in these first um, five games is really important because those those difficult games uh, are going to come thick and fast later on, especially once Europa League starts. Uh, it's going to be very congested and some of these games might not be as uh, easy to nick points off of. So you want to try to build build a bank pretty quickly. Uh, not to say Crystal Palace are easy points, but um, you know we've got very winnable games to start the season all the way through August. So if they can uh, get things to gel and and kind of get the same sort of uh, momentum that they had going through preseason, if they can get that to continue into the regular season, this is a great opportunity to to you know get ten fifteen points uh, in the first few games here and really make a statement. Uh, Joe, do you have any fears with Palace or are you feeling like Arsenal are going to hang in with this one? Uh, yeah, like you said, I think they're just in so, so much of a better place. We have backup fullbacks who can be relied upon now. Uh, just, you know, Zinchenko coming in is a, is a huge upgrade. So, mm-hmm. and that's that's I think that's where we suffer most against Palace is is down the wings. Um, so so having better fullbacks I think will will help us. Yeah, Palace definitely has ways to punish you and keep you honest. As far as you know, if our uh, outside backs to push forward a little too far, they can definitely get bitten. Um, my maybe my main concern with Zinchenko is that he. He, he seems to me to be a prime, uh, a pl- uh, more offensive minded defender, obviously, and he can get forward and, and really make you um, hurt other teams from the midfield. But as far as his defensive abilities, he his positioning leaves a little bit to be desired sometimes so he can be a step off and, and really get burned. The upside to the way the team has been structured in the preseason uh, he did have Saliba and Gabriel and White on the field with him and having those those three solid defenders to kind of back him up as he pushes forward really seemed to uh, work for Arsenal. Uh, but with speedier uh, wingers coming from Palace, I wonder if they might be a little more vulnerable compared to some of their preseason competition. Uh, Tim, what's your what's your uh, prediction as far as lineup goes? Do you feel like there's um, any questions in your mind, or do you feel like it's going to be pretty similar to how they lined up against uh, Sevilla? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, for the most part, that it seems to be the lineup that I'm uh, I'm I think is going to be going forward. I it's pretty obvious to me. You have Jesus starting. You have, um, you know, uh, Saka going. Um, I, I'm 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 struggling to find a a place right now where we uh, there's any uh, question about where the where, where who's starting. Do you have any uh, players, Joe, that you're you're thinking are kind of be a surprise inclusion in the game? No, I think it, it's going to be as expected. I suppose with Arteta, you never really know because he does have a, a slight tendency to overthink 
things, mm-hmm. particularly when he has too much time on his hands, like the first game of the season. Um, like so, you know, there could be a surprise. Maybe we'll see Nelson or something like that playing. <laughs> but I don't know. I'm, I'm excited with whatever 11 people he puts out. Yeah, I'd be pretty surprised if any of our uh, injured players were able to make it back for this game. I, I, it's nice to not have to rush anybody back for once. You know, it, it, we've got the depth in all the positions now where we can um, comfortably, comfortably play some uh, second string players and not really feel like there's a significant drop off. And in many ways, it's going to be a difficult challenge when everybody is healthy. And I think that's a great problem to have. But like you were saying, uh, Arteta can overthink things. So now that you've added more more tools for him to use, I, I wonder how many times that's going to come back to bite him. But maybe it's not uh, quite the risk when you have better quality players to choose from. Who are the main injuries coming into the uh, the postseason that you see? Uh, right now, we've got Tommy Asu, uh, Tierney, and Emile Smith-Rowe, who are nursing injuries. Obviously, Tommy Asu and, and Tierney have been um, dealing with their, inju- their injuries since the last season, so they're kind of at the tail end of their rehab and um, just getting back into full training. Uh, and uh, Emile Smith-Rowe, oh, the other person is uh, Fabio Vieira, who's also been missing from the preseason uh, games completely. So uh, really, the four of them... Uh, are, are kind of possible substitutions, uh, but I'm not sure if any of them are quite ready for too many minutes yet. They haven't really had any preseason at all, so it'll be maybe two, three games before we see them getting significant minutes, but it is nice um, to not have to freak out because that that's that's a sig- when you just read that list, that's a pretty sig- would seem like a pretty significant blow to Arsenal, but for once, it feels like we can survive this and actually not just survive, but actually thrive with a slightly different lineup. And that's that's a nice feeling to have. We're not even playing Cedric at, at right back necessarily, which is a, a, an amazing uh, feat in and of itself. Um, any other thoughts on on Crystal Palace? Because otherwise, we'll we'll kind of move move into looking at. Uh, the season as a whole here. No, I don't have any uh, other thoughts other than I'm going to be very excited watching the game live at it on my couch. So, yeah. Anybody want to make a scoring a score prediction here? <laughs> I no, but since <laughs> I'm since I'm here, I'm going to say uh, three two to the Arsenal. Oh god, I'll go three three one to Arsenal. And it's gonna be very, very cagey, and Arsenal will score two late goals. Ooh, I like that. Bold. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Jesus uh, is definitely gonna get one in the first game. I w- I would say that's a solid prediction. Uh I'm gonna go two two. I'm gonna be a little more pragmatic because they've they've tend tended to draw more than they've won against them recently, but I like the idea of just coming out with a a, a win, so I'm hoping it's more of the 3-1 variety. I do find it interesting that uh, none of us uh, went for the shutout against uh, Palace. <laughs> he, and that's that's not to say anything about our defense. I just feel like Palace has found 
ways to get goals against us. So no matter how good we think we are defensively, I think they, they seem to find a way to punish us. And again, I haven't checked on injury statuses, but uh, I imagine Zaha is going to score a goal against us. I just, it's, it feels inevitable. If he doesn't, he'll win a penalty and someone else will score it. <laughs> that is true. I'm tra- I'm, I was just going to look up who, who's still on Palace. Um, if, uh, is Ayu still on Palace? I feel like he scores like one goal a season and it's always against Arsenal. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I don't keep up on a uh, Palace's rec- or current roster too much. Yeah, he's on that other he's on that other wing still. So you got Zaha on the left and Ayu on the right. Yeah, it, it seems like one, one or both tends to score against us. They, the, like you said, those wingers tend to find a way to get our back get at our backs a little bit too much and we end up paying the price somewhere. Um, okay. We've got a full season ahead of us and this is usually the time we, we take a moment to put our, uh, predictions in for how things will end up. I I would say we're, we're pretty bad about, um, remembering what we picked. So we gotta, we gotta find a way to come back to this at some point. Um, but we'll, we've got it in our show notes, so maybe we'll actually, uh, keep those handy for once. I'm going to be a secretary and I'll keep notes of it and we'll just go back to this. Okay. Okay. That's good. Um, okay. I will start with, uh, the, the most obvious question is where, where do you think we're going to finish this season? And I'll, I'll start with you, Tim, since you put your initial first here, I'm <laughs> start with you. I, I, this is always hard because I have rose to two glasses and realistic glasses. I think real rose tinted glasses. I, I feel like we could win the league with the team that we have. And I know that's just silly to say, um, but uh, as far as realistic uh, ideas, I'm going to say fourth. Fourth is where I'm going to stick us. All right. Uh, Joe, since you're, you're a guest, I'll have you go next. <laughs> uh, I'm actually going to go one better. I think we're going to finish third. I don't think we've got Ooh. enough to catch up Ooh. with Man City or Liverpool yet, but Chelsea just seem in complete disarray pre-season. They can't sign anybody um, and have, haven't had a fantastic pre-season, and I cannot even think about finishing behind Spurs again. So Ugh. I'm going for third. I, you know, when you said Chelsea's in disarray, I, I have to ask, do you feel like Tuchel's in a very precarious position already. Cause I, I kind of feel like there's some weird vibes coming out of Chelsea early on this year. He's following a very familiar Chelsea coach trajectory. You know, this, this, uh, you know, very well-groomed, uh, articulate German manager coming in, his hair now looks out of place. His beard looks scraggly and he just looks <laughs> desperate. Uh, uh what's well, going I- on in front of him. And you, you, you talk about uh, their uh, recruitment strategy. They, they did not hire someone familiar with European football or soccer. They hired someone who came from the LA Dodgers, I believe, from a baseball background. 
and has no idea what he's doing in the transfer window. And it's, it, it's going to be interesting. I mean, like beyond the, uh, the issues they've had with, uh, their former Russian oligarch, uh, owner, it's, it, it I, it's going to be an interesting year for them. I'm, yeah, I'm still not a hundred percent sure that they're going to be crap because they still have some amazing players on that team. But yeah, it's going to be an interesting year for them. It does seem like their name keeps popping up when other teams show interest in a, a decent player, like uh, this uh, Cucurella saga that has been, uh, you know, he's been a player that was linked to Man City, and then all of a sudden Chelsea pops up, and they're like, hey, we'd, we'd go for that. And uh, it is bizarre to see them kind of uh, not necessarily leading the way in the transfer business. I mean, they're definitely making making things happen, but... Uh, they're not exactly finding diamonds in the rough. They're kind of looking over the their uh, neighbor's shoulder as they're taking the test and trying trying to nick some answers to these questions that uh, somebody else had done all the homework for. So it's uh, it, it's a different position to what we've seen Chelsea doing in um, previous windows, and it, it is definitely a different Chelsea from the Abramovich. Uh, era so we'll have to see how this all plays out on the field but it does it does have some something feels off it feels a little uh man united-esque as far as we're just gonna sign a bunch of random players with no real strategy and see what happens um chelsea's always just kind of spent big money and somehow it's come together and I wouldn't say there was no strategy. Obviously, they've done really great recruitment and have constantly have about twenty people out on loan. And you know, they they had had a system that worked, even though it wasn't always obvious what what it was. They it, it did come together and they had success. I don't feel so confident for them at this point, but that vulnerability is definitely going to be something that Arsenal can take advantage of because it does feel like we've we've done the homework and gotten to a place where the transfer strategy actually makes sense so now would be the time to take advantage of that and that being said i think i think fourth is is very reachable with with man united and chelsea both kind of being on shaky ground uh even if they make good signings i think it's going to take a while to get their their teams in order um and may not be ready this season um, all right. So following that, we've got Europa League this year. So where, where do you think we're going to finish Europa League? Is this, is this a knockout win? Is this, is this the time that Arsenal finally put the run together? Uh, what do you think, Joe? Uh, I think we're going to make it to the semifinals. I think there's going to be a couple of surprise packages knocked down from the Champions League. And we're going to lose to one of them, mm. maybe a Barcelona or something like that. I mean, the way Barcelona's playing, I would actually take Barcelona in the Europa League right now. Just the way. <laughs> yeah, talk about a team with with some strange vibes going on because they've their their transfer strategies is equally as perplexing, but in very different ways. So who who knows what's going to happen for them this season? Um. Semi-final, okay. Um, I, uh, I'm going to say we're going to get to the final, but I don't think we're going to win it. Look at you. 
any reason why or just a, a good feeling? I think it, I think this team, the way it's structured with the depth that we have, we have the pieces to get it all the way to the end. I have my doubts as to whether this young team has gotten far enough in their development to both make a run in the Premier League and Europa League and see it through. And I think if they're going to falter somewhere, it would be in the final. Another also because that's a hurdle square. that they haven't over. I was going to say another yeah. square final like the Chelsea final a few years ago. Yeah. I just Caleb. feel like there, there may be a mental block there. Caleb and I watched that game together at the, uh, what was it, uh, the Irish bar downtown Fado's. Fado, no longer there. Sad. Uh, and that was a horrible day. Uh, <laughs> it was. <laughs> I, I think I'm going to be less optimistic than either of you. I'm going to say we get out of the group stage, but we lose in the first round of a uh, knockout. Just because I, I'm, I, and maybe I'm just weird because I like watching a lot, of the, a lot of other European leagues, but there's a lot of great teams that are in Europa League even before the Champions League teams come in. And I worry about our depth a little bit in that I think that first knockout stage, I don't think we're going to take extremely seriously. I think we're going to focus on the Premier League this year. And I don't know. I just worry that we play a mixed squad in the that first knockout round. Maybe stick with our cup keeper and uh, just get knocked out by, I don't know, if I in order whoever decent European opposition we meet in the, uh, the knockout stage. I think we get out of the group stage, but yeah, get knocked out in the first round. The Arsenal classic underestimate the opponent in the first leg and have too much to do for your first team in the second leg. Exactly. I, you know, this week though, I've, I've had, um, some inkling that Arsenal may be taking Europa League much more seriously than I thought they would. Because when you were looking at the the squad, it, I, I saw a lot of game time ahead for the likes of Patino or Balogun or, um, you know, maybe even Tavares or some of these guys who were kind of on the fringes of the first team. I thought they would get a lot of their minutes out of Europa League like we did with uh, Emil Smith-Rowe and Saka and really... Uh, cut the teeth uh, on some of these young players with with Europa, Europa League minutes, and now in this last week we've seen Tavares go out on loan. We've seen Patino go out on loan. Balogun is is going out as well, and so the the young players that I thought would absorb a lot of those uh, cup and Europa League minutes are are now going to get good good first team minutes somewhere else, which is is great, I think, but. Uh, it makes me think we're going to play a much stronger squad in the group stages, which um, it, it, it could be good, but it could wear out some players. But it is nice that we have um, some quality depth even still to to make a good first and second squad to, to tackle both of these uh, competitions in a serious way. So um, I, I could see us going, going pretty far, but... Um, they they have been known to slip once in a while, so hopefully they don't leave too much work to do in one of those legs, like you mentioned, or um, underestimate one of these uh, other other teams that we don't face regularly. Because that's that's the other thing; it is a different 
a different competition and a different style. And, you know, some of these players will thrive and some of them will struggle. We've seen, we've seen Pepe do really good in Europa League. We've seen Eddie and Kedia do great in, in cup and Europa League games, but some players tend to struggle. So we'll have to see how this team comes together uh, in Europa League this season. I mean, I think your point about losing a lot of those uh, players on loan kind of plays into that idea of, uh, I don't, I think, I really do think Arteta is going to prioritize uh, Premier League. And so we're going to see a lot of much more depth players, both in the group stage and probably in the early rounds of a knockout more than you would think. I I just don't think you're going to risk all your, your, your starters on a Thursday night when you have a uh, Saturday game, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's get that that cadence of Thursday, Sunday or Thursday, Saturday is going to be the real challenge, I think, after a season where we got to kind of have it easy as far as scheduling went. So it's going to be um, interesting to see how this team acclimates to that that uh, two a week schedule. Uh, OK, so this is kind of pertinent to right now, but this always is interesting because we've got just a few weeks left in the. Well, when does the window close? Anybody know off the top of their head? It's nope. coming up, but I, I, should have I don't done. know if it's a... I just don't know if it's been adjusted uh, for a World Cup or if it's the same as it has been in previous years. Right. Um, and I'll see. While you're While you're looking this up, I will say that I don't think we're going to make any significant signings in this window. And we'll see in December, but my answer is going to be a quick no. I agree. I don't think we're going to see any big signings. There might be, you know, one or two 17-year-olds none of us have heard of. But as for big established names or even moderately established names, I think we're probably done. Got the business done early like we always want them to. Yeah. It's, it's one of the things I really love about watching Bundesliga is they've made their signings already most of them or a lot of them even while the season's still going on the previous season and i I really appreciate that because it gives you as a team a a way to like actually build the team and really think about what these players are doing as opposed to making a signing two weeks into the uh to the season and i don't have the stats but i have a feeling in my my heart that like they tend not to work out the best especially the first season. I, I'm going to be a little more bold and say they will make one more decent signing. And I, I think that could be a Tielemans. It could be somebody of that level, not quite a unknown quantity, but um, maybe no, nobody that's at the Jesus or um, Zinchenko level, maybe slightly below that, but uh, a little better than uh unknown teenager because I think they've been um saying that they want to make more signings and uh, the the thing that had to happen was a little bit more of a, a clear out of the deadwood so uh as as more things come together here as we we see more outgoings and loans I, I think we could see at least one more decent player come in and um I don't know if it's going to be a, a high impact player or just another depth piece, another um, tool for Arteta's uh, box here. But 
I, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say at least one more. Yeah, and I know we have a, a section on uh, transfers later on in the show, but, uh, you know, um, Caleb and I have talked about this a lot on the, uh, the podcast in the offseason, and I think we've both come to the conclusion that, like, I'm personally happy with how the, uh, the offseason is going, and I'm not, wouldn't be too upset if we didn't make any more of those signings. What about you, Joe? Like, are you feeling like this uh, transfer window, like, as far as signings coming in, is... Uh, if we made no more signings, you'd be happy. Yeah, I think I think I'd be perfectly happy. I think if we'd made the signings we made this summer in January, that would have really put us ahead in the project. But actually, Jesus seems like the missing piece, and Zinchenko is a another nice to have as as depth. As for other signings, I don't know a huge much. Sorry, a huge amount about them, Marquinhos and Vieira. If if Arsenal think they're good enough, then they've got me convinced for now. It's always that for now. <laughs> yeah, I'm anxious to see more from Vieira and, and what he could bring. And um, I, I still don't have a sense if Marquinhos is actually going to be an uh, have any impact. He may be uh, one of those players where he ends up getting loaned in January if they don't find a loan for him. Uh, in this window, but he, I would be pretty surprised if he was uh, at the level that uh, Martinelli was right off the bat at his age. But they've they've done some decent scouting in Brazil, and and uh, you know Martinelli proves that there is some um, there's some decent young talent coming from from Brazil that can come in and make an impact. And if he can get first team minutes, if he can come off the bench. Uh, it would be a nice, a nice, pleasant surprise. And I think Vieira is, it, it could be, uh, an impact player, especially as we have, you know, to give a different flavor to Saka or Odegaard or whoever he comes in for, uh, it's nice to have some, some players that can come off the bench and offer a little something different. So I'm excited about the, the less than marquee signings that we've made as well. All right. Uh, this one's real important, and I think I can guess who we're all going to say it, but uh, <laughs> top top scorer for this season. Uh, Tim, what do you think? Jesus, no comment. <laughs> pretty pretty straightforward. Joe, do you, do you concur? Yep. Second. Second is Jesus. Yeah, I think uh, I think there's there's no other answer after this preseason he just looks ready you know i was i shouldn't be surprised but the past couple of days i've been seeing a bit more from from pundits kind of doing some of the same uh questions here on who's going to be uh in the running for golden boot and that sort of thing uh he, his name is not coming up obviously holland's going to be in there and, and some of the other uh big names hey, that you, you would typically see Exactly. Um, I, I, I feel that he is getting overlooked and I, I think the preseason and the way that he is, um, clicking with the team already should have people on notice that he's going to be scoring a decent amount. I think it's hard not to imagine that he's going to get 20 plus goals. Yes. Right. And that should put him in the running for the golden boot. I mean, if you're getting 20 plus goals that, you're you're in the mix. 
Well, I mean, I, 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 there's so many people that rid him off because of how he's come into uh, Man City, but there's so many other factors in why he wasn't an extremely top goal scorer at Man City. It's the way Man City plays, and I'm I'm going to be watching the Holland situation with a, a lot of interest because Man City just doesn't play that style of a uh, a single striker and you know he had a huge hit at the uh the World Cup where he was going to be Brazil's lead striker and he just didn't score a goal in the World Cup and it, it affected his confidence and this move to Arsenal I think is going to reawaken his talents and I I really do think he has a lot of those talents as just an out and out striker that's going to score a lot of goals. Yeah, I don't think we've even seen his best with this team yet cuz obviously there's still um that chemistry that has to build. I mean, as as much as it uh has looked good in the preseason, I think when you get to the Premier League and you're playing um one, two times a week with the same group, it, it is going to only improve from here. So I think you're going to get more out of Odegaard. You're going to get more um, from some of the, the deeper players. And we've only really seen him um, with Sunchenko a couple times, and those those players already have a built-in rapport from their time at Man City. So I think they're only going to continue to develop and, and uh, bet in with Arsenal as a whole. And I think both those players can have a lot to offer uh, once they, they get acclimated a bit more. Um, MVP, which, you know, some people would say is the top scorer, but I think that at Arsenal, we have a little bit more nuance. I think a player that can um, be the best defender, the best midfielder, not just the best striker could be the MVP. So, uh, I'm going to go on a limb and I'm going to say Odegaard in his first season as, as captain is, is going to be our MVP because I feel like with other players maybe missing from the midfield later this season, it's going to put a lot on Odegaard to pull, pull the strings even more and, and dictate the tempo. I actually agree. Uh, I originally put Saka as my choice, but I changed my mind to Odegaard. I think having such a dynamic striker in front of him in Jesus is going to really, really show us his creative qualities. And doubling up on that, the fact that we have such a exciting forward takes such a burden off Saka. So Saka's not going to be double marked nearly as often as he was last season. So Odegaard suddenly has more options and a more exciting forward to play with. So I think he's going to really make it count this season. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, we're all kind of on the same couple of players, but I'm, I'm going to go with Sokka. That is uh, who I think uh, he just, uh, I, I, I think it's his year. I think, uh, you know, he's not coming off of Euros. He'll be coming off a of world cup for the, the last part of the season, I guess, but uh, which is always a weird thing, but uh I think it's his year to shine. I think he's finally gotten past that point of promising player to be actual great player. So I'm, I'm very excited about Sokka. I'm very high on Sokka and I think he's, 
at the end of the year, the one that I'm we're all going to look at is the MVP. My my only concern with him is that if the rumors are true and they get a, a new deal across the line early on in this season for him, we have seen players fall off a cliff for this team when they get a new deal signed. I hope that it is not some trend in this team that Saka gets a uh, his his big boy deal and then you know loses that drive. But he's he's in a slightly different position to some of the players we've offered the big contracts to. A lot of them were looking at their true. last big paycheck at kind of twenty eight, twenty nine. He's still very much early twenties. This is giving him what he deserves rather than a late bonus yeah yeah and i think he does he have lo- probably another big contract to play for down the road yeah and i think he he loves playing he loves playing for arsenal you've seen in his attitude how he's just shaken off the disappointment of last summer with with ease in fact you know he hasn't stayed the same he's got better exactly yeah the fact that he's been taking penalties for arsenal as well is just a, a- a sign of his character and what his, his drive is like, you know, not to live with the, uh, failures from the euros and actually just face that head on and, and improve upon, um, any deficiencies, not to say that he's a bad penalty taker or anything like that, but I feel like that would, that would be something that would stick in the back of a player's mind unless they face that and got over it. And I think he's done that really well. And, uh, I expect to see him, making and or taking a lot of the, the penalties for Arsenal this season. It seems like that's something he's um, determined to, to do at this point. And uh, he's, he's pretty decent at it. I'm not sure that we have anybody that um, is, is quite at, at that level at this point without Lacazette and the team. I think it's, it's all his to take. And I, I heard on the, the Ars cast this week that, uh, you know, he, uh, Jesus is, is surprisingly poor at taking penalties. So he, he may, um, defer to Saka by default. Yeah, and and with Saka as well, like the difference between those big contracts and seeing the players fall off, like Obama Yang, which I am very much on recorded record saying I hated that contract. Uh, mm. Saka seems to love playing for Arsenal, and he actually wants to be there. He grew up as an Arsenal fan. It's a such a different situation, as Joe was saying to those other uh, contracts that, or uh, Azul is probably another <laughs> one we can point to. Uh, it's such a different situation that I'm, I'm not too worried about giving him the money midway through the season and him downing tools. I think, uh, I think even giving him that contract may give him more to prove and may motivate him more than it would be to demotivate him. Yeah, I think with with the World Cup too, I, I that now that I think about how that will play out, he's going to have an extra motivation um, beyond just what he's doing for Arsenal this season. Um, okay, breakout player. So this would be you know somebody we've talked to, maybe we've talked about, uh, or maybe somebody that's a, a bit of a surprise, somebody that's new to the team or hasn't quite made their mark yet with Arsenal. So um, I'm I'm going to to go with Zinchenko on this. I think he's, he's actually, um, you know, he's a relatively new signing. We know that he is, is fairly capable, but we hadn't seen maybe his best yet at Man City. 
Uh, I think he's got a ton of technical quality, tons of potential, um, and can play multiple positions. So I think he'll get opportunities to pop up in the midfield and at left back and actually make a, a big impact. And we could see him displacing players like Shaka or Tierney frequently, I think, because he's he does have um, just a, that winning winning uh, experience and the connection with, with Jesus and just a skill set that we don't have another player. So I think he's, he's going to be uh, a big impact on this team. And I think he could uh, maybe outdo some of our expectations going into this season with him. Uh, Tim, what do you think? I'm going to go with uh, Saliba. I really mm-hmm. have always been high on Saliba. And I feel like it's his year to really make a uh, a case for himself. And, you know, just following him in the French League and how amazing he's done even on loan. I know there's some issues with um, how he's talked about Arsenal in the press or whatever, but he's a, a young kid. I I think Saliba, when we look back at this year, is going to surprise a lot of people. Uh, about how about you, Joe? What are you, what are you thinking for breakout? Well, I was, I was I was thinking Saliba as well, but you know now now it's already been said. I'm going to put in my my left field suggestion instead. I think it's going to be a really good year for Reese Nelson. <laughs> he's from the from the same kind of graduation year as Saka and Smith Rowe. He just always seemed a little bit behind. He had a reasonable year in Germany last year, and I think uh, with the opportunities he's going to get in the Europa League, he's going to surprise a lot of people. I love him. I look forward to you inviting me back at the end of the season when he's got you know, I'm, one, I'm one assist and zero goals. <laughs> <laughs> or, or next week it's announced he's gone out on loan <laughs> well it doesn't that, have to be for Arsenal surprise me. goes out to loan to uh, Forrest and uh, scores the uh, golden boot I'll still count it <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm surprisingly on board with this because I think I mentioned on the last episode he is um, maybe looked better to me than Pepe has in his limited minutes and Given given the a run of games, I I would not be surprised to see him make good on some of the uh, promise that he's shown in the past and in maybe not frequently enough. But you know he 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 has had glimpses where I'm like ah that's a there's a quality player here. Um, he just it, it it's it's gonna take building that confidence I think and getting him the the minutes he needs to actually get the comfort in this team and, and build some uh, chemistry with the players around him. I just feel like he's been in and out and hasn't really gotten enough time to really show us what he, he can do. And I get that the competition in that position with Pepe and, and uh, Saka in front of him is going to be challenging, but there's, there's minutes to go around. I think we will, we will see him at some point, but I like that as a real dark horse candidate for for breakout player. He could he could maybe surprise surprise some people this season. Uh, okay. Well, maybe that's a good transition into most surprising <laughs> thing to happen this season. If Reese Nelson has a, a breakout year, that might win it. But you know, it uh, there's we've seen some strange things happen with Arsenal, so this is a good category to really pull something out of out of left field. So. 
Tim, I'll throw it to you first. What do you think? Uh, well, I'm going to go against my first answer to the question, which is most surprising thing to happen this season. Arsenal is going to win the league. Ooh. <laughs> that would be it. surprising. <laughs> yeah, there's no other comment to that. Yeah, I don't. I I don't know how to follow that up. <laughs> I feel like we we would need a perfect storm, like the Leicester City season, where not only were mm-hmm. they good, but everyone else was terrible. But there's a lot of a lot of factors would have to come into play. Yeah, that's why it would be surprising. Mm. I've gone mm, I've gone a little okay. uh, a little lower with my surprising <laughs> expectations. Uh, uh, I think we're gonna win at Anfield. That'd be okay. amazing. That's Take more that. realistic. <laughs> and you, Caleb? Hmm. That's tough. Uh I I'm gonna say we're 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 finally gonna turn the tables on Tottenham and it's it's gonna be a clean sweep this season. At least in Premier League. So it's not a St. Tottenham's Day that you're predicting. It's clean sweep of Tottenham. Yeah, I think we'll we'll do our part. I can't guarantee that we're gonna we're gonna finish ahead of them, but I think we're we're gonna we're gonna finally get the upper hand. I, I, mostly because I'm just sick of losing <laughs> to them and having to finish below them and so if we can at least beat be, win all our games against them and um you know it, we, we can only do what we can do right so well at, at least we can feel good about that uh all right this is this is a this last category is uniquely arsenal because it's it's bound to happen that we're going to have some ridiculously stupid red card so who's it going to be how's it going to happen uh joe what do you think well uh mine mine follows some news that broke either today or yesterday i can't remember and that's uh aaron ramsdale being given the number one shirt and (laughs) in the in the recent years our goalkeepers have an unfortunate tradition of doing something ludicrous when they're handed the number one shirt uh so i think ramsdale in the first five games of the season is going to get a red card for a deliberate handball outside the box. Okay, yeah, I could see it. Um, man, now that you put that into the world, I mean, we're, we're all <laughs> playing with fire here now that we're, we're talking about the horrible ways that this is going to happen. Um, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of who is the least likely person to get a red card because that seems to be I, I I like just thinking back on the the Mart Martinelli quick double yellow last season. Um it just that that's the level I'm I'm considering here. Just somebody that doesn't seem like they're likely to get red carded. Um I, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go Tommy Asio. I just feel like he 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 generally plays very clean. He's a good defender. But I think he is um he's gonna lose his head. I think he's gonna he's gonna do something extremely dumb and surprise everybody and get get a straight red card. 
Well, I mean, what is specifically like that? That is the. Uh, it's not just the who, but what specifically is Tommy also going to do? I think I think he's just going to have a, an atrocious foul that he's going to make because he's he's a, he's going to be a step slow coming back from from rehab. I think he's he's he may st- struggle a little bit. He's gonna he's gonna make one of those fouls that you know instantly is going to garner that red card. Yeah, I can see it. I'm going to go with an a new player. I'm going to say Jesus is going to get a, a extremely stupid red card like Enkedia did that, uh, what was it, two seasons ago? Where like it was just, boot was up there and it like got called and it was annoying as shit. So I'm going to say Jesus, high boot. These all seem too likely. I just think two out of three is probably going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, why I put the did, question in. How did Granite Xhaka not even get a mention? Too easy. Is it, it, it's just, it, it's not even dumb anymore. It's just expected. Yeah. I we've mean, just, I, we've just written it into the script for the season already. Hmm. I had a, uh, there's a, a uh, Sounders player whose name was uh, Carrasco. And I know not all our listeners are familiar with Sounders players. But I had a running bet with my friend with Carrasco that he was going to get a red card if he started. And I would buy a drink to my buddy if he did not get a red card when he started. And I feel like that's the way it was Jaka. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just a matter of time. I don't even hate I don't even hate him for it anymore. I just kind of expect it. All right. Well, we've got still quite a bit to talk about. Do we want to take a break here or should we try to get anything else knocked out before we take a pause? Yeah, I feel like it's good break time. Let's do it. Let's take a pause. When we come back, we'll get to talk quick about some some law changes or some rule changes coming, like five subs. What's that all about? And, uh, you know, we've got a bunch of transfer stuff that's going on so we'll give you a quick update where everything's at there and you know it's it's a big arsenal week it's not just the first game of the season but arsenal all for all or nothing is coming out tomorrow so we'll we'll talk about that briefly and um i'm sure you'll hear more about that show as the weeks go on but uh let's take a break here and we'll be back in just a moment Welcome back from the break, everyone. We've got a few more things to go over, so we'll hit it real quick here uh, just to get through all the major points here. But the, we've got Joe on, so I thought we'd talk a little bit about any uh, law changes or points of emphasis going into uh, this Premier League season. And usually there's there's some tweaks, some things going on, but uh, nothing nothing too major on the radar this year? No, not really. Um, I know you touched on it before the break, but we've got uh, five substitutions coming up back to uh, the COVID rules that we had for the 2020 season, uh, where each team gets five substitutions, but still only three windows to do it. So, you know, yeah, I think can't, that can't that's waste a, quite so much time. Yeah. And that's a, that's a huge, I mean, we'd say nothing's changing, but I think that's that's a big 
big change now that they've kind of aligned themselves with the rest of the leagues that already had already kept that from the COVID um, changes. And uh, you can tell that teams are, are stocking up on players. I think there's a good, good reason to believe that there's going to be minutes to go around. And um, Tim, do you feel like this is going to be a positive for, for Arsenal as far as the, the way that they'll tackle the, the, the five sub rule? I mean, I do think it is. I mean, it's going to be more positive than some of the uh, teams lower down in the division don't have the resources that uh, Arsenal does. I also do think that I just remember uh, Arteta during the COVID season and where he really shined was with the uh, multiple substitutions and being able to switch to the players and, you know, really over tactic some things. So I think it plays into Arteta's strengths and it plays into the fact that Arsenal at this point has, uh, you know, more resources than other teams and therefore a little bit deeper bench than some of the other teams in the league. It, it can be a real game changer tactically. I mean, I was going to mention this at some point, but I don't know if anyone watched uh, the women's Euros. I did. And um, England, I thought, used their substitutes really really well like the fact that you could bring on Ella Toon and Alicia Russo you know and still have three more substitutes after that if you needed to change things you know 20 minutes later um I think is probably what won England the competition I mean I don't want to get too deep into uh the women's years but uh I was a utterly heartbroken when England beat uh Sweden 4-0 it broke my heart and uh, Russo is such an interesting player. I think she should have actually been red carded out of the final, but that's a whole another story. But yeah, as far as using the uh, the subs the right way, I think England was a masterclass in that. Yeah, it is a different beast compared to you know with with three subs, you you tend to be conservative. You want to reserve some things for injuries and that sort of thing because as you get into the second half, you got tired legs, you got um, the, the chance of injury increases, but having five subs really opens things up to make changes earlier in the game as well. And I, th- I think we'll see, um, some earlier substitutions, maybe more, more often subs may come in the first half that aren't directly related to injuries. I think you've got to, um, you're going to have coaches that are going to roll the dice on team. Che- completely changing tactics if things aren't going their way. If the game's getting away from you, you're no longer going to have to be uh, limited by the three subs. You can maybe just go go bolder on your tactical changes and maybe make things happen earlier in the game to turn the tide. So I think it, it offers uh, lots of, of tactical nuance. It, it opens the game up a bit more, and it's going to make second halves very interesting as far as um just having five players with fresh legs is i think it's going to make um it's going to change the dynamic of of the energy in the second half of games for some of these teams i mean it's interesting because like when i was growing up like the uh, the rule of thumb is you don't wait until the 75th minute to really make substitutions and i don't i don't think you're going to see that anymore at all i think as you briefly mentioned we're gonna might see some first half sub even like 20 minute subs where a coach has realized that their tactics are completely wrong 
and change it up in the uh, 20th minute to, to, to change things up. And it's going to be really interesting. We're going to see a lot more, you know, subs at halftime as well. So Especially been... since halftime doesn't count as one of your substitution windows. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I can I can definitely see somebody, you know, when we when we're looking at the options we have on Arsenal right now, you, you look at what what Tierney can offer you, what Zinchenko could offer you on that same position, or what what you could get out of the right back position as well, um, with between Cedric White and Tomiyasu. Um, the options there as far as how you want to set up your team whether it's defensively or or pushing forward that there's a lot of change that can happen with those players Uh, you might you might have some flexibility in the midfield to put in play a a three set or or a a four two three one you know there's lots of great options that we have and you do see that fluidity already in the way that Arteta sets things up but um, now he's got a little more depth to play with. So I think we'll see, um, you know, if he, if he I, it's hard to see if Arteta is going to break from his pragmatism sometimes. I, and I, he can tweak things a lot and overthink things, but he tends to let players kind of play through things as well. So it'll be interesting to see if he is, he he's willing to pull the trigger early because we've, we've seen him kind of, throw in the towel with, with Tavares at halftime and, and he knows when things aren't working with some players, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm be interested to see how often he, he goes to the bench in the first half. If that's something he uh, sees as a tactical advantage or something that um, could actually hurt, hurt players sometimes, you know, cause there, there is that uh, ego and mentality thing you have to also keep in mind. So I wonder how that will change. Um, as, as people transition to this new way of, of dealing with, with early subs. I also wonder if uh, we're going to see a lot more of Pepe this season, just uh, because if uh, your na- main game plan isn't working to put Pepe in earlier or, you know, not as impactful as a third sub in and just change how we play the game. Yeah, I think somebody like him who could be more uh, as a, as a kind of a counter counterattacking option, or you know, he 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 does work well for certain setups, but it's uh, he's also one of those players that you may want to pull early if he's not showing up. So it maybe maybe you roll the dice and see how he does, and then if it doesn't work, you could make another sub. But <laughs> I. I I don't know if that having five subs will mean you, you do the devil sub now where you bring Pepe on and then bring him right back off. Yeah. Uh, and any, any thoughts to how this is going to help us with Europa league? I feel like that um, can only help to make our ease the impact of that going into the, the thick of uh, the season, especially as we try to balance things with the world cup coming up. I think, this is definitely um, done with that sort of congestion in mind, right? I think it'll help Saka a lot. You know, if a game's in a promising position around the 60-minute mark, he can he can come out. Yeah, and it's it, at least there's some people we can bring in. Uh, there seems like there's lots of options now for, for what hopefully isn't a huge drop-off. I think that's always the... Con- the concern is that yes, we need to preserve his legs, but 
previously there, it didn't feel like there was a good enough option off the bench to really match his, his level. So he ended up playing way more minutes than he probably should have given hit the, the amount of time he'd, he'd spent on the field previously. Um, so there, I, there was some, uh, kind of early tests that they're doing with VAR and, uh, I, I saw something today that said they might be doing um, some of the automated offside uh, testing during the Champions League as well. So that might be a um, we're close to some big changes, but not quite there yet. What's what's your assessment of of some of these new new tweaks that they're doing with VAR? I, I think it's very exciting. I mean, I think we're slightly in danger of making the role of assistant referee redundant. Um. Mm which is bad news for centre referees because, you know, it's hard work out there, even with the assistance of technology, having, you know, two teammates out on the field with you can make a big difference. So we run the risk of uh, assistant referees being taken away altogether or having a virtually redundant role where they just signal for throws, goal kicks and corners. Do you feel like there should be more that they they can give input on like they they've had a you know there's a very limited amount you can do when you're focused on making sure someone yeah, isn't offside but if they if they took some of that burden off of the assistant referees do you feel like there is more that they could be involved in as far as expanding the vision of the center ref yeah it can potentially give them more more of a say over fouls in their quarter uh, and that that can be a good thing the number of fouls i've missed that have happened virtually right in front of me when I've been an assistant referee because I'm looking straight down the line instead of at the play that's just beside me. Um, so I think that, that will, that will help. For me, like the, the, the more technology that goes into refereeing, the more there's a part of me that is, I don't, I don't love it. I don't know how to explain it, but when we were in the Europa league, uh, the last time I enjoyed the fact that we're, during the group stage, there was no VAR, there was no technology because I can always forgive a referee for missing a, a play. But when technology gets involved, it feels very uh, annoying when a call gets wrong. And I've seen enough uh, games with VAR that even with all the technology, some calls are missed or some calls are called wrong and it happens all the time. And I don't know, like, and maybe I'm just an old fuddy-duddy with a with the soccer. Well, it, it takes a lot of the romance out of the game, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. You know the the one the reason they're trialing this automated offside technology is because they're saying, well, you know, they haven't always pinpointed the exact moment that the ball has been kicked. And you know what what is the exact moment the ball has been kicked? Is it when the foot yeah. initiates contact with the ball, or is it when the ball? imperceptibly moves away from the foot and you know you're talking mere fractions of a second here that no human being can be expected to to see and i I, the thing is like i i do hate that in a lot of ways that like in some ways i mean like i you know i've been watching soccer now for 30 plus years of my life and when something feels offside, it feels off. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I guess maybe it's the romance and I understand with offsides, like there's a, a little bit of a black and white, but 
I don't know. There's something that uh, makes me more angry about <laughs> calls with uh, with VAR as opposed to just being like, all right, it's a ref. I'm able to get over it a lot easier when it's just a ref as opposed to when all sorts of technology is involved. Uh, I I had another referee related question for you, and and we had a few retirements in the Premier League referee ranks last season, and I haven't really heard about who who stepped up yet. But do you feel what was what was your feeling with some of those big big names like Atkinson um, stepping away from the Premier League? Do you feel like there there's room for improvement, or do you feel like it, it's better with the devil you know sort of situation? Uh, I always like it when a new referee comes onto the scene, partially because they're they're a bit of an unknown quality. And mm-hmm. I think, rightly or wrongly, we go into games, and I think the players do as well, with uh, preconceived perceptions about the referees. You know, oh, this ref's going to give a load of penalties, this ref's going to give a load of cards, and I think it would change how the players play, and more often than not, for the worse. Uh, and quite often fans would also develop a bad reputation with referees and you know the referees are human if they're getting booed a lot it's gonna make them not want to hmm, how do i phrase this there there is always a certain amount of bias and if someone is telling you that you're a terrible referee and that you're being really biased it's going to unconsciously make you want to make decisions against them and and with those preconceptions and relationships kind of rewritten that started afresh uh we should hopefully have some fairer calls and i also i'm huge about this is i watch a lot of bundesliga and how var is implemented in the bundesliga is very different to how it has been implemented in the premier league and i think it's that there are a lot of refs, referees, specifically some of them who've retired now in the Premier League, that are uh, not as willing to listen to the off-field referees and the VR booth. And when they go to the uh, the screen, they've already made their decision. And because they've made their decision, they don't want to go back on that. Whereas in other leagues in the world, specifically the Bundesliga, Bundesliga, they're willing to go in with an open mind. And I'm hopeful that more referees that are used to dealing with that technology are more willing to take that uh, ego drop, I guess, would be the uh, the best word. Yeah. And that actually brings me on to another change this season. There's been some early reports that are going to trial releasing uh, the transcripts of what has been said on VAR after the game. So when a referee has to go and check a decision, they're going to release it after the game. I mean, I still don't think it's as good as actually live broadcasting it, but it's, it's a start. I mean, like I, I've, I've seen a couple of Australian league football games and they're like, what was it? Aussie rules football or whatever, where the referees are live mic. And I love that because you can actually see their decision points being made. And I'm also a former Mm. referee. And I think if you humanize the ref and see what they're doing, what their thought process is, I think a lot of fans would be much more willing to forgive them, you know? And I think it's, it's a benefit both to the fans and the referees to have more transparency. So 
Definitely. The transcripts I are. I think they know exactly the referee you're talking about because I think he now referees in the championship. <laughs> yes, indeed. And what? Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and like you know, transparency is always great, and it just you know makes the conversation between the fans and the referee much more palatable. And even though the players don't hear it, the at least the fans at home will hear it, and there won't be as much just vile stuff, hopefully, being uh, sprayed out if you can hear the decision process. I don't know. Some of it, I feel, is going to be like rubbing salt in the wound because you're going to be, um, you know, there's obviously calls where you just cannot understand how they came to that conclusion. And even with video evidence, you can see, you know, wasn't contact or some situation where it seems obvious to everybody except for the referees what what happened there and sometimes i feel like even if you knew why they came to that decision it would probably just make it all the worse because if it's the wrong decision it's just going to be it's it's not going to ring true it's not going to justify what actually happened so i think sometimes i could actually um add fuel to the fire rather than diffusing things I mean, I, I wholeheartedly disagree, which is that, like, if you can see the decision process and at least know where the referees are coming from, and I think, you know, all soccer fans feel like the referee's against them and that there's some sort of bias, but if you can see at least their decision process and then understand it, because, like, most of the times when it's a, a very uh, controversial call, they just go back into a lot of platitudes and just say it was the call on the field and leave it at that. And I think that to me makes me more angry than if I can go, all right, they made a mistake or they didn't know the rules well, or they didn't catch what was going on, or they really felt that there was contact when there wasn't contact. I'd be like, all right, it's a human error. And we, we are all human. Yeah. I just feel like the first really egregious call against Arsenal, that, that, that sentiment's going to go out the window. Cause I don't know that it's going to be easily justified. <laughs> I, I just think it'll be better than what we have now, which is there's no transparency and a call is a call and yeah. then it goes away. I, I think there'll be a little bit of both. I think more often than not, the clarifications will make you feel better. There might just be the occasional one that you just can't understand even with, the transcripts in front of you. Yeah, and it, it is better than them. You know, I know that the there can be some occasional questions, or there there will be something that comes out about a bad call, or you know, you don't you don't really get too much referee commentary. So it's better than um, the absolute nothing that we get most of the time. But uh, even if they were mic'd up all the time, I, I feel like it doesn't necessarily make them um, or absolve them from from bad calls it it may just make it uh um slightly more palatable if we know what's going on uh all right i think that's that's it from the law changes for this season so we'll see how that all plays out and i'm i'm really hopeful that the new new group of referees has um doesn't come in with any arsenal biases or uh <laughs> some of the things that have plagued us in in previous season with some of these referees but we're going we're gonna to see how that plays out. I um, just want to give a quick transfer rundown because things have been moving along since we last recorded. So um, a lot of this has kind of come together in the last uh, few days. 
uh, Leno going to Fulham, that is uh, completed. It seemed like that was a pretty uh, light purchase for Fulham. I think it was like $2 million guaranteed and then another like $6 million in uh, um, incentives. So, you know, I think Fulham has to stay up for two years straight and we get like a couple million. And well, I that's know, not there, there was some... I know I, there was some funky stuff in there, so I don't I don't see us getting a ton of incentives out of this this deal. It's it's pretty pretty low ball offer if you ask me, but uh, it's another one off the books, so I guess we'll take that as a small small victory. But yeah, way way undervalued for the quality that that Leno is, and I, I think that's a shame that the, that Arsenal wasn't able to keep his his value up a little bit higher. Um. Tavares was another casualty of, of um, you know, I, I don't know if I would say he had a poor season. I just don't know that he gained the confidence of Arteta in, in his limited time. So it, he, he is out on loan to Marseille. Um, we had Saliba over there, so we've got a good relationship with that team. And um, I think he, he's probably going to do, do well there. He's, he's got some, He's got some quality. He just needs some finish and some polish, and I think that's a team that he's going to get the minutes that he needs to to maybe potentially come back to Arsenal one day as a, a more finished product. Um, I had mentioned earlier that we had a couple of our young players going out on loan. Uh, Patino at, to Blackpool was announced today. Uh, Balogun to uh, uh, Ram, uh, Ram is, is done as... I think that has not been officially announced, but that's all but done. Um, actually, they may have they may have made that an announcement earlier today as well. So two two of our young players that are um, going to get significant minute minutes playing in uh, lower division uh, teams, and that's I think for the best, considering they they were just going to be cup and uh, Europa League players. They they're going to get starting minutes i think with these teams so that's they're going to come back better for it and i think that's for the best um and then we've got we've got the ones that are are kind of in in the process right now uh pablo marie to monza is is all but done um bellerin to betis sounds like it's another contract write-off for arsenal so he's he's probably going to end up uh having his contract canceled so he can make that dream move back to his uh childhood club or i shouldn't say his childhood club his um the the club he was a fan of as a kid however you would say that and uh terrera oh god terrera just when you think we've gotten rid of him just when you think you've got a deal locked up um he's he had everything everything but the contract signed with galatasaray uh and then come to find out before he was going to get on the plane to go finish that deal, Valencia comes calling saying, hey, we've got some money we might be able to throw at you. And of course, he's now holding out to see what they, they can offer. Um, Galatasaray is apparently looking at sweetening their deal with him as a counteroffer, but I don't care who takes him at this point. I don't care how much money we get for him. I'm so annoyed with how annoying he is, he's been uh, as far as his, his career with Arsenal and, and 
the will he won't he of all of these uh transfer and loans it's just it's he's been kind of more of a pain than he's been worth um considering how little he's actually played for the team so uh i'd say it's time to move on and and whoever wants to take him i'm i'm glad to give him away at this point um i'll drive him to the airport <laughs> yeah exactly. i'll pay for the cab we get him we just got to get him wherever he needs to go um you guys have any comments on any of that tra- of that transfer business? I mean, it's just nice to get some players out and, you know, the uh, one of them withstanding actually get a little bit of money, or at least the salaries off and not paying them to leave. I mean, I, I, I do feel at some point that we're going to have to lose one of our darlings and actually get money for a player. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. our... our our transfer business right now is not sustainable. And, but, uh, I'm all in favor of getting some of these players out on loan, getting these, some of these players out and maybe someday we'll actually sell a player for money. <laughs> I do think we're still in that course correction phase though. You know, it's, it, it, there was a lot of players. I mean, we're kind of just getting out of that, um, Sven Mislintak group of players with uh, Leno leaving with um, Torreira hopefully going, you know, those, there was a lot of poor signings in that era and, and most of them have gotten cleared out at this point. Um, and we spent big money the last couple transfer windows, or at least in the summer transfer windows um, to bring in quality young players. So I, I think this is kind of the turning point where, we should be in a better position to not have to just write players off and cancel contracts to get them um, off the books. I think we're, we're finally at a place where we can develop these young players, get them to uh, the, you know, their next contract, whether we sell them at that point or not, at least they will have um, maintained their value because of their age and hopefully quality. And, and you mentioned being, disappointed in the uh the leno uh fees but it, to me at least it's the positive in the books and he was obviously i i would love him as a backup keeper but i don't think he would be excited to be a backup keeper so at least we got him out got some money for him and you know it's not a dangerous place for him to be i'm i'm happy for him i'm happy for it i think that was a good bit of business very excited for him to make Six or seven absolute wonder saves against us, and we play Fulham. Oh, obviously, <laughs> that's obviously what's going to happen. That's how it works. We're going to make him look real good. Um, yeah, but it, as far as incoming transfers go, it is silent. So you know, nothing, nothing to report there. It is, it is all on the outgoing side, which is uh, to be expected with where we're at right now. I really do feel like if something is going to happen, it's kind of it's going to be in this um, last period where uh, things start to shake loose from other teams, the dominoes start to fall, uh, a lot of this sort of outgoing business gets done, and and then we we've got a, a better idea of what um, room we have to work with. So if something's going to happen, we've got uh, a month left uh, to make it work, and it's that's plenty of time to see what what other teams do and, and who who becomes available um there's still some strangeness out there you know i kind of feel like um you know barcelona's 
asking players to take salary cuts and just get the heck out. So maybe something something becomes available or, you know, there's there's plenty of other teams who are looking to offload things so they can get get some money at this point. Um, so we'll see see if Arsenal can find some good deals out there and um, make one or two more deals happen before the September 1st deadline comes up. All right. I think I think we've done it all. Any anything else you guys can think of? I think we've we've squeezed in just about everything. I I'm gonna call it, and and we'll we'll call that a week. First first of all, thank you, Joe, for for sticking with us for uh, coming on this week and previewing the season. It's been a, been a pleasure as always. Uh, always glad to be on. Yeah, we're definitely gonna have it get you for the end of the season to see if our predictions how they sack up yeah when when uh, when reese nelson is top scorer <laughs> exactly and we win the league yeah you maybe we should have gone bold bold with the the prediction and gone reese nelson golden boot <laughs> it's possible uh i mean who would have thought eddie and Kedia would be where he was at at the end of last season i think he you can never tell who's going to get hot. All right. Uh, so thank you for joining us and, and thank you all for listening this week. We've got a great uh, season ahead of us. I'm looking forward to getting back to our regular schedule. Uh, so we'll be back at, to our weekly wrap up of, of the weekly games. And I think we'll be talking about the all or nothing uh, documentary series for the next few weeks as well. So that's that's exciting to have two things running concurrently with the new games and reliving last season. I think that's going to be interesting to see behind the scenes already with a couple clips they've shown. I'm intrigued to see what else they got. So it's uh, it, it, it'll be something interesting to talk about over the next few weeks for sure. Uh, if you haven't reviewed and subscribed, go ahead and do so wherever you're picking up this podcast right now. Uh, it'd be a huge help to us in spreading the word. If you want to interact with us, send us your questions, leave us your comments. There's a few ways to do that. We have Twitter. We are at W of N London. Our email is westofnorthlondon at gmail.com. You can send us a voicemail at anchor.fm slash westofnorthlondon slash message. And join our Discord by clicking on the link in our show notes. And if you like our theme song, you can check out Bobcat at their website, bobc.at. You can find their album, No Course to Follow, plus much more, so go check them out. That is all for us this week, so as always... See you at the next gun show. <laughs>